ones and the ushers will give you theirs. <laughs> they just don't know it yet. We have two up here, Scott. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to start reading from verse 1 and we'll go to verse 6. Hey, we have visitors from Oklahoma today. Welcome. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he had taken, he, was, he had this testimony, before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, once again, we just lift up this important section of Scripture, Lord, that you have taken these series of lives, these testimonies, Father, for the purpose of illustrating faith, not human perfectionism or anything else, but just what is well-pleasing to you, Lord, as we step out, as we live our Christian lives in faith. So, Father, as a people who desire to be faithful to you, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us and instruct us and drive this lesson deep within our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So we have been examining the illustrations of this chapter of men and women who have held fast to their faith. And as I've said before every service, what are you doing? Are you holding fast to faith or are you slipping away? Because every single person here is either holding fast to their faith and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and doing these things, or you're slipping away. And remember, if you're just simply staying static, that's a backslide as well. We are to reach forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus. What we've seen in verses 1 through 3 is that saving faith, it's the foundation of what we are convinced to be true. We're convinced to be true. As we've come to that knowledge of the gospel, we came to the, the place that it was just undeniable. There was the necessary leap of faith, but as we've taken that leap, we understand that we have leaped into the arms of God. And then walking in faith, living a life in faith, is the proof of what is yet not seen. As I've seen born-again believers who continue to live their lives in faith in God, I see the reality of God. And again, that's the purpose for chapter 11 here. But it should be the same thing that you see as you look in the mirror, as you examine your life, as you are inspired in the lives of somebody else, whoever it may be, that you're seeing their trust in the Lord and, and how they continue to move forward even in the face of opposition. And then we saw in verse 3... I'm sorry, in verse 2, faith is the witness that we have throughout all of the ages. 
And then we looked at verse 4 last week and we saw this man Abel. Went back as far as Abel because Adam and Eve did not need to walk by faith. They walked by sight. They had fellowship with God. But Abel and how he offered a better sacrifice. And we saw through faith, his worship of the Lord was accounted as righteous in the sight of God. And now we come upon this man Enoch. Enoch, a man whom little is said about, but speaks volumes, his witness. His witness and the testimony that the Bible speaks of. His legacy is, he walked with God. He, he walked by the side of God. He was directed by the Lord. He lived his life in a manner that was well-pleasing to God. Do you walk with God? Now, I'm not saying God was right there and they walked as if you would walk with somebody as you go taking a walk. But the idea is, is that you process the information that God has given us. You live your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and you have that desire to be obedient to who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. And that's a right walk with the Lord. It's that which we need to be obtaining too. In the book of Amos chapter 3, verse 3, how can two walk together unless they agree. Have you ever gone on a walk with somebody who was not in agreement with you? Like for instance, your dog. You're walking your dog and your dog wants to go that way and you want to go that way and it just seems to be a big tug of war. Well, you would be the dog in this example and your walk with the Lord. And how many times are you pushing against the direction that the Lord has set for you. How many times have you gone in the wrong direction? I know, my dog, as I'm walking him, a lot of times, he'll see a cat or whatever, and he'll want to run across the street. He doesn't look both ways. They never do. But in order to keep him safe, I have him on a leash. I have him on a leash to protect him. Now, I did take a dog to dog training once, and you teach him how to walk on a leash, then you teach him how to walk off leash. And so, at first, just going crazy. But after a while, you get him good on the leash, and then you take him off leash, and you train him off leash, and then he, he walks well. He walks well because he walks by your side. And again, it's the same thing God does. We're kind of wild out there in the beginning, but God teaches us and trains us, and we should be at that place in our Christian walk that we're walking in obedience to the Lord. So Enoch was a man who was on the same page with God. Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Looking at this man and, and, and just trying to piece together some realities in our lives that we get a, a picture. Now, it's important to see, just as we saw earlier, that Abel was a man who offered a better sacrifice. His worship was acceptable to God. He did so by faith. Now, what was this man Enoch's great act of faith? Well, he walked with God, but there should be an expression of that. With, with, with Abel, he, he offered the sacrifice, the appropriate sacrifice that God desired, that God demanded. And so we're given a little bit more. And again, you've got to do some homework and able to understand it. But if you look at verse 21 in Genesis chapter 5, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he got Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. In this portion of Scripture, what we're going to see is faith in God and things to come. Because at some point, there was this information that was given to Enoch. Again, if you walk with God, God's going to speak to you. 
God's going to direct you. And how does he do that? He does it through his word. How did he do it with Enoch? I wasn't around. I don't really know. But somewhere along the line, Enoch got it. Enoch got it. Well, I believe we see this in how he named his son Methuselah. Methuselah, well, that means when he dies, it will happen. And what we see in Enoch, when it says that he was no more, the idea is that God snatched him away. And really, at the beginning of the Bible, if God's plan for salvation is covering the totality of the Scriptures from beginning to end, we should not think it a strange thing to see end-time pictures even right at the beginning. And I believe that's what we see here in this man, Enoch. And in this man, Enoch, what we have is a picture of the rapture. Some people have said that with Noah, but Noah is how God is able to protect his people as they go through the time of tribulation. We will see, well, Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. These were people who were sealed, who were protected during that time when earth was in great upheaval. But as far as Enoch, Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church. Now, just quick, this isn't going to be an exhaustive... Um, in time study, but what we believe is Calvary Chapel, we believe, and it's obvious that right now, we're in the church age. We're in the church age, and as we are in the church age, our primary goal is to go forth and to make disciples of all the world. But at one point, God's going to say, that's enough, and he's going to tell his son to go and get your bride. Now, who's the bride of the, of the son? That would be us. That, that would be the church. And that would be the time of the rapture. I, I really believe that the book of Revelation explains this perfectly. In, in Revelation chapter 1, you have an introduction to the groom. You have an introduction to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that throughout the first chapter. And then in chapters 2 through chapters 3, you have a picture of the church age. As the Lord is speaking to the pastors of various churches, they were real churches that existed during John's day. John, Apostle John is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. They were types of churches throughout the church age, and I believe there are even types of churches that exist today. And then in chapter 4, it says, after these things. And the way I read it is, after these things, what things? After the church age, I look and behold, the door was standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. In verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on. He was in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, from there, no longer do you see the church on earth until the second coming of Christ again. And we start that time of tribulation, that seven years of tribulation. Now, keep in mind what tribulation means. Literally, it means a squeezing. This is the grace of God. It's not God punishing mankind. God punishing mankind is in Revelation chapter 20. That's the great white throne when man, apart from Christ, is condemned to hell. That time of tribulation, yeah, it's not going to be a good time without a doubt. But this is God putting the squeeze on, if you will, so that man would repent and man would turn back to God. Because you see this constant theme, and they curse God, and they did not repent because of the hardness of the heart. So when John points out that they did not repent, the idea is that they could have repented. 
but they have this hardened heart. So we have the church age. There's going to be the rapture. And for a moment, there's not going to be one born-again believer on the face of the earth. But I believe because if we are, in fact, living in the end times, because of our witness, people are going to realize it was true. Because you exercised faith, because you walked with God, your witness will carry through even after you leave this planet through rapture or even through death. And so... Church age, there's the rapture. That's what I believe we have a picture of in chapter 4, at least the beginning. Next time we see the church, they're in heaven. You've got this constant in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, and then in 1 Thessalonians, and I'll read those verses in just a minute, of this trumpet, and it's a unifying factor throughout all. A trumpet back in the days of the Jews was that which was used to call God's people together. It would sound a warning of war, but it was also sounded so that, well, if there was a message to be given, this trumpet would go off and people would know to gather. Now, as far as the rapture of the church, we see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, what is it that people are most ignorant about? Well, for the most part, end-time theology. Now, if you're ignorant in end-time theology, then you do not know and you don't understand the things that are going on. And as we see the things going on across the world, if we're ignorant of what God is doing in end times, it's going to be very distressing. As Andy said, you'll be going into the fire, but you're not going to have that complete trust in God because you're not going to understand that the things that are going on in the world are allowed by God. And what Jesus said, these things that are going on, wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and nations against nations and all of these things, they're birth pangs. They're preliminary events that are leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So again, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Those who have fallen asleep, he's speaking of born-again believers who have died. And so back then... There was a theology that Christ was going to come back you know, during those days, during the Apostle Paul's day. Apostle Paul seemed to think that Jesus was going to come back. But what happens when people start dying? Wait a minute. I know that so-and-so was a believer, and, and now he's dead. And how does, how does all of this fit in? And, and again, there was an ignorance about this end times that Paul was wanting to clear up here. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, least you sorrow as others or unbelievers who have no hope, no trust in God for the future. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So he's saying that when Jesus comes back, he's not talking about the second coming of Christ, but he's talking about coming back for his church Jesus is going to bring with him those who have died in the faith. Verse 15, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, that could be us even today, will by no means precede those who are asleep. So that tells me that everybody who has died before the rapture of the church is absent from the body, but they're present with the Lord. Verse 16, For the Lord himself, Jesus Christ himself, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And so you can compare that to Revelation chapter 4, the verses I just read, verses 1 and 2, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. There's that commonality when the rapture is being discussed of this trumpet. 
with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Pastor Mike, I thought you said they were already with Jesus. Well, they are. When man dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We are in the presence of the Lord in some sort of spiritual sense. But you have to realize there is still a substance to that. You are in the presence of Jesus Christ in a spiritual form, but also there's, I can't explain it to you because the Bible doesn't explain it to me, but you are before him in some sort of substance, some sort of physical sense. But then there's going to come that time, this is the day of the rapture, that those who are coming with Christ will first be reunited with their physical bodies. Now their physical bodies are going to be altered for one, if it has decayed or if it has been burned or whatever, God who created everything from nothing is certainly able to gather all the molecules and stick them back together. But it will be, they will be reunited with their physical bodies, but also it'll be a physical body that's able to be in the presence of God. You can't be in the presence of God right now because sin has defiled you. God looks at you just as if you have never sinned, but nonetheless, this body is corrupt. And so what happens? You you need that new body. So the very first time at the rapture, what's going to happen? The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are with Jesus Christ will receive that physical body. And so it says, verse 17, Then we who are alive, again, Paul thought he would be alive during that time, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And there's that term that you can compare back with Enoch. Enoch walked with God, he was no more, because God caught him up. God took him, God snatched him away. So when's the rapture going to happen? I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're certainly told how it's going to happen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so you have a loved one that has gone on, and if they're in the Lord, that means they're with the Lord. There's a comfort. I've seen it. I've been in the hospital when people have died. People in Christ have died. And I've seen the beauty of of the family that has been there and understanding that they're passing away from their presence. And I've seen the hurt. But I've also seen the reality of the knowledge that they're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We mourn, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And I've done the funerals of the born-again believer, and they've been beautiful things because of the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I've also done the funeral of the unbeliever as well. And I've seen the ugliness of a people who have no hope. And I've seen the despair. And I've seen the hurt. And again, it's just a horrible thing. This is not the second coming of Christ because it says, verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And so the Lord is going to come from his church. The church is going to be reunited with him. It just simply says in the clouds. And then that is going to start either at that point or in a future point, the seven years of tribulation. After the seven years of tribulation is the second coming of Christ. We will be with him. This is Revelation chapter 19. When he comes and he's going to exercise victory over all unbelievers in this world. And then again, we're not going to get into the details, but just to give you the timeline, that's going to start the millennial rule age where Satan is bound and man's going to live in a time of peace and prosperity for a thousand years. At the end of that, Satan is going to be released. He's going to deceive the nations once more. Christ is going to achieve a great victory. We're in Revelation chapter 20 now, and then it's going to come that time when judgment is going to come. Chapter 21, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we are forever going to be with him.
So, that's the picture of Enoch. This man who very little is written about, but in actuality, his testimony, because he lived by faith, it speaks volumes. And so God must have told him of that flood to come, because he named his son Methuselah. This man who lived, well, this man who lived longer than anybody else had ever lived, 969 years. I don't know if I want to live that long, but nonetheless, he did. So we have Enoch. He lived to an age of 365 years. Now, it's one thing to say that a man walked with God when it's easy, but it's quite another to say that he walked with God in the difficult days. That's where we're tried. That's where we're tested. I remember I was on staff with a, a man who I, I respected. We were doing this little job in the kitchen, or he was, and he asked me if I could help him in the kitchen at a church that I was on staff with. And so, sure, and he says, we're going to have to lift this. Okay, I grabbed it, and I lifted it, and I pinched the tips of his fingers off, just you know, the little skin right at the tips of his fingers. That hurts a whole lot. I, I mean, maybe I've had one, but I, I, I pinched the skin off three of his fingers. And I was just thinking, we're going to see what kind of Christian this man is. He said, ouch, but that's all he said. And he maintained his witness, and I was impressed because that was very painful. And so what you need to consider is, how are you when you're pained? How are you when the hard times come, when the difficult days come? And I'm talking the death of a loved one all the way through to the common everyday things of life. Are you keeping your eyes upon the Lord? Are you staying steadfast? Well, we have Enoch. He walked with God when it was real difficult to walk with God. I brought you all over the place. I don't know where you're at in the scriptures, but go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 4. Because again, we see a, a time when man, man was becoming very evil. And we see this evil personified in a man named Lamech. Chapter 4, verse 19 of the book of Genesis It says, then Lamech, and more than likely, most scholars believe that Lamech was a contemporary of Enoch. Verse 19, then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. His, um, he was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. As for Zillah, she bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naema. Then Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zilhah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed the man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What we see is just, once again, clues of the man, of the personality of this man, but you need to direct it from what we see in Genesis chapter 6, and I'll allude to that in just a little bit. And this is just the things that are, well, this is the direction that society was going at the time. And Lamech, we see some things here in the scriptures I just read that are contrary to God and what God's desires are. And really what you have is, you see this prideful man, they're making the best of a situation that they possibly can, but unfortunately they're doing it apart from God. And so what we see here is civilizations, civilizations attempt to dilute the effects of God's curse. Other forms of occupation were formed other than the tilling of the ground. 
the nomadic life was preferred. Cattle raising was inaugurated. They were eating meat when God had yet to command them to do so. Metal working and tools were developed to ease the toil of the curse. Musical instruments were devised to mitigate the sorrow. Polygamy was introduced. It's the first time we see that. Possibly metallic weapons were invented during this time. Poetry came about, but it was boasting of man's self-sufficiency and independency from God. Lamech is a perfect example of a man of the world. He married for beauty. Ada means ornament and Zilha means shade, probably means comfort. He believed himself to be a very powerful man. We saw this in his poem in verse 23, which, by the way, is the very first recorded poem in the Bible. Poems within themselves are not bad, but this was a poem that he wrote to glorify himself. It may have been a threat to his wives, but nonetheless, this is a man, somebody apparently either did him wrong, wounded him, and he paid him back in spades. And so you see this man, a vengeful man. And then how he says at the end, if God could watch over Cain, I can watch over myself even better than God could. Lamech, Lamech is a picture of a man who did not walk with God. Look at now Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Now, think of that. The intent of the thoughts of his heart. He's going deep into the nature of mankind. It's talking about the seeds of who you are. Really, what is being said here is that man at that point was rotten to the core, had no desire for the Lord or the things of the Lord. And that being the case, we see where mankind was and why judgment was just around the corner. But what we're focusing on here today, we're looking at Enoch. As far as the one who walks with God, we have a little bit more commentary. This in Jude 14, 15, there's, no, there's only one chapter. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Now, he prophesied. So prophesied is speaking God's word. Now we don't have in Genesis where he did that, but since Jude is inspired by the Holy Spirit, this man was a witness for God. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, check it out, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Doesn't that sound like the rapture? So God is giving him insight to what he's doing. He's speaking of things future, verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, we just saw an example of that in Lamech. And so just as during Enoch's day, society, they were rotten to the core. That just means the decisions and their thoughts were all based upon depravity of mankind. That looks a lot like what we experience today. Look at all the depravity that we experience today. Look at all of the... It was kind of interesting in the fires that we had in Northern California. One of the biggest issues or problems that came about, our state has gloriously determined to legalize marijuana. That apparently is just something we really need to happen. Where are all the pot farms at? They're up north. A lot of them burnt up. God, not only did he destroy a lot of the pot that was out in the field, he also destroyed a lot of the pot that was in the barns. That's why those people are so happy right now. They're still suffering the after effects of it. But 
But the problem with it is, and, and again, you just see, proclaiming to be wise, they've become fools. Marijuana is still illegal federally. Because it's illegal federally, these marijuana farms, they can't insure themselves. So this is just a flat-out loss. And this is just another little thing that God is knocking on the hearts of men. And you say, well, Pastor Michael, it's just a fire and all of that. It all happens by the hand of God. All things work together for his good. And just these little things, I need to see the hand of God in them. And I need to understand that God is always working towards bigger things. And as long as I know that God is still at work, we have a confidence and we will always have a hope and he will always be at work. So again, at the age of 65, God had spoken to this man's heart, Enoch's heart. He prophesied of what was to come to the future. And it seems like he cemented this through the naming of his son. Because if you go through and you do the math, when Methuselah died, that's when the flood came. So Enoch walked with God. I want to look at three things concerning a person who desires to walk with God. Enoch walked, or he lived his life according to God's will, according to God's way. The only way that you can walk with God is walking in obedience to God. His map for life was God's word. God spoke to him once again. I don't know how God spoke to him. The Bible doesn't say, but I do know how God speaks to me. And I do know how God speaks to you. It's through that little book that you have on your lap. And if you ever tell me, or if you ever say, or have you ever said, you know, God's never spoken to me. Well, have you stuck your nose in the book on your lap? Are, are, are you into the Word of God? Are, are you looking at the Word of God? I, I write devotions every day based upon the one-year Bible, and I, was write, I make a list of uh, probably about two weeks, and I just go through and I check off the list as I write the devotions, and I came to November 3rd. And November 3rd in the Bible, that's my birthday of reading through the Bible every year. And I've done so every year, and I'm not bragging, this is just simply by the grace of God, because there's times when I didn't feel like it, and I didn't even want to do it. But God just continues to enable me and to prod me in that direction. And I've been reading through the Bible every year since 2001. And it's very doable. It takes 15 minutes every morning. What are the priorities of your life? Are you able to give 15 minutes of your time to God every day? I mean, I know you can. Will you do it? I mean, look at the time that you give to, and you can fill in the blank, the things that, and we'll just even consider them to be benign. But if you're going to walk with God, you must hear from God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'll add to that, nor the understanding of others. Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So effectively to walk with somebody, I've got to be on the same path. The Bible, it puts us on God's path. I've got to be on the same pace. And to walk at God's pace, I have to know God's will. And then we have to walk to the same place, to have the same destination. And I know the destination that God has for us based upon his word. So we accomplish this. Well, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's all about what God does. Now, I'm going to turn over. This won't be on the board because I just added it because this is a devotion that I did with the teachers before service today. They're in the book of Exodus, and they're, they're learning about Moses. Your kids are learning about Moses today. And what was happening during that time? 
Well, God was introducing himself first at the beginning of the book of Exodus to Moses because he wanted Moses to walk with him so that he would be able to be used by him. And then what he wanted when, well, through that, that the children of Israel would walk with him out of Egypt across the wilderness and into the promised land. But again, mankind, they don't know God real well. They don't understand him real well. They know of his existence. And so God is going through and introducing himself. And so God, I'm just going to read in chapter 6 of the book of Exodus, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh with a strong hand, and let them go with a strong hand. He will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, or Yahweh, that's what we see in Exodus chapter 3, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant, therefore, and that's a huge word here, because of everything I just read, everything that God just said. Now, that also includes what God said to Moses, that he wants to use Moses. He's not saying that Moses is going to have to be the one that delivers them. When God calls you, when God speaks to you, it's not necessarily you that has to do the work. You have to put forth the effort. There's no doubt about that. But if God wants a kid and a second grader taught, and you stand up and you say, here am I, use me, God uses you, but God works through you into the hearts of that child. God works through me into this congregation. God will work through you into your home, into whoever he has out there. Why? Because it's all about a work that God does. And so in verse 6 here, this has got this huge word, therefore. And from there on, I went and underlined the term, two words, I will. And there's seven I wills here. God's making a point. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Verse 7, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And so you have to realize in your walk with Jesus Christ, it's all about what God is doing. But what we see in the scripture, I've got to put forth the effort. And that's the problem. If I'm not walking in faith, then I'm not walking with the Lord. It's, again, faith in what he will do. That was the problem with Moses at that time. God told him, go speak to the most powerful man and the most powerful nation in the world. But the idea here is, as you do this, Moses, just have faith, and I'm going to do a great work. I'll do the work. You just make the effort through faith. And as we do this, we see God do great things. How are we not to walk? Secondly, well, first we saw that we are to walk God's way. Secondly, we are not to walk in fear. Because to walk in fear is to walk without faith. It's to walk based upon your abilities. That's what Moses was concerned about. He was concerned about his limitations. And so... Israel was given final instruction concerning their walks before they finally made it after 40 years up to the border of the promised land. And so what God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, 
Now remember, Joshua, he was a mighty man of the Lord all the way up until. See, you can be a proudful person. I remember I used to sit in sanctuaries and I would kind of evaluate the person who was teaching. You know, I, I, I had a die to that and it was just kind of a habit of mine that I didn't, you know, I'd kind of, yeah, well, he said this, he could have said that and all of that. But then once you start doing the teaching, it, you know, when that opportunity comes, okay, Mike, you have all of this wisdom. You go up to that pulpit and give all that. It scares you to death. It, it, it really does. It touches you. It should touch you to the very core. Well, you have Joshua. Here's the man who was used mightily by God, supporting Moses. But what does it say at the beginning? Joshua, Moses, my servant, he's dead. It's you. I paraphrase that. But now it's you. And I would imagine that scared him down to the core of who he is. Because three times in this chapter, he's told to be strong and courageous. Why do you tell somebody to be strong and courageous? Because they realize how weak they are and how cowardly they are. Because now the buck stops with me. Before, he could always point to Moses as Moses was pointing towards the Lord. But nonetheless, verses 7 through 9, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, what qualifies this command to be strong and courageous? He is the very first leader of God who has the written word of God. God had commanded Moses to write these things down. And the idea was, it's for my leaders in the future so that they would be able to walk with me because they would be able to know me and understand me through, once again, the written word of God. And then thirdly, Enoch, he walked by faith. He walked by faith. That's why I say, I don't know how God spoke to him, but God always leaves room for faith. There has to be that element of faith that's going to be your initial motivation to whatever God has called you to do. To give devotions, I don't have time, I don't have understanding, I know my kids need, just do it. Just take that step of faith. Marriage, we just had the, the couple's retreat last week, went really well. It was, you know, again, when we have, it seems like when we have these things before, not so sure about it. Afterwards, it was the best one that we ever had. Was it the best one we ever had? I don't know, but at least seemed that way because you just, once again, have this fresh experience of God. Well, everybody can have every excuse in the world why they should not go. I, I almost canceled it because nobody was signing up. But you've got to take that initial step of faith. And when you take that initial step of faith, then you see the hand of God move. And so it can't be inactivity. I have to be proactive in that step of faith. But also I can't take that step in the flesh trying to cause something to, to be achieved in the flesh. So I have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. But then I need to take that step of faith. So Enoch, somewhere along the line, walked by faith. Verse 6, I'm sorry, <laughs> Verse 6 of about the 10 books that I've been in. Go ahead, let's, let, let's re-zero here. Let's get back to Hebrews chapter 11.
Verse 6. Want to be well-pleasing to God? Notice what it says here. But without faith, it's impossible. Without faith, you just simply can't do it. No matter who you are, no matter how powerful you are, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to be pleasing to God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It takes tremendous faith to walk with God for a lifetime. The average age of mankind, last I checked, it was 78 years. Enoch walked with God for 365 years. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, it says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I wonder what would happen to Enoch if he was walking in faith for 364 years. But no, it's all God says, just have faith in me. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, not of yourself, but to have that faith. And how are we maintained? We're not maintained by works in our Christian lives. It's just always by faith and to continue to move forward in faith. A righteous walk without faith is impossible. What is faith that pleases God? First, believe that God exists. And really what I'm talking about here is the basis of faith. I kind of looked at this last week. I can have faith in that chair, but it's not going to do me any good unless I want to rest for a little bit. But other than that, spiritually speaking, doesn't do a thing for me. What is it or who is it that you have faith in? Do you have faith in yourself or your abilities? Well, guess what? One day you're going to die. And at the point of death, not going to be able to do anything for you. Or somebody else, at some point they're going to die. They can't do anything for themselves. They can't do anything for you. What is the focus of your faith? The focus of our faith has to be in the living God. Living God as God has revealed himself to us through his word. It's essential. So you have to believe that God exists. Moses, he came to this realization of the living God. The people came to a realization of the living God. And we saw something great happen. But secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who believe. I have to believe and understand that as I exhibit faith, God is going to respond to that. Now, a lot of churches or whatever have taken this to ridiculous proportions. Just because I have faith that I've got a million dollars in my wallet, I've got two dollars. And I can keep exhibiting faith in God that he's going to multiply this But I don't see that in his word. He hasn't said to me that he's planning on doing that. And so you see people just try to manipulate the hand of God through what they say is faith. But that that just leads people down the wrong direction. We need to have faith in God and what God has told. That's the key and what God has spoken who God is and what God's plan is. Generally speaking, what's God's plan? To go forth and to make disciples. As I desire to be used in that, I exhibit faith in that and that God is going to use me. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. 
And so what we're told back here in Hebrews is, is just to exhibit faith in such a God who is able to do that which is off the charts. And as I'm exhibiting faith, as I'm moving, God's going to train me and God's going to grow me. You may never, you know, do what we consider to be big, but a lot of times what we consider to be big in this life is little in the kingdom of heaven. A lot of times what we consider to be little in this life is great in the kingdom of heaven. It's that which we need to embrace and just be content and happy, just moving forward in what I know God has called me to do. So are you walking with God, examining your life? Are you walking with God or are you running ahead? I know people that have ran ahead. They're shooting stars. They're there, they're all excited, and they take off and they leave God behind, and sooner or later, you don't see them anymore. And then there's others who are lagging behind, spiritual sluggards. There are those who supposedly make a profession of faith, but you never really see them anymore. They've kind of lagged behind, and, well, the devil, they use that example of the roaring lion. Remember Marvin Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? Now, I did learn something from that. What do the lions feed upon? They feed upon the elderly and the weak that are separated from the pack. And I've noticed the devil pretty much does the same thing. Those who have been separated from the pack are easy prey for the roaring lion that is the devil. Or, matching God stride by stride. Just being in God's word, seeing the direction of the Lord, and taking that direction for his glory. Enoch was, Enoch did, and God took him. And the idea of the picture here is, those who walk with God will not see death. I'm not saying there's not going to come that day that you die, but even as we know, the day that we die, it's then that we're going to be more alive than we have ever been. God's given us these pictures. He's given us these illustrations that we would embrace them in faith and that we would move forward in our Christian life. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us these things. And I pray, Father, that we would embrace in faith, Lord, your word. And, Father, we would hold it dear and understand, Father, that it's just through these simple words written in this book that, Lord, they speak of who you are. And, Lord, there's even your power to save. There's your power to keep. And there's your power to use. And so, Father, I pray that we would see the reality of these things in our Christian life. And, Father, that we would truly realize that these words are written to us. Because, Father, we could just think, well, in false humility and even real humility, that who are we to be used by you? It's the same thing Moses did. And, Father, his witness reverberates throughout the ages. And so, Father, I pray that we would hold fast to these things, that, Lord, we would see these things be a motivation in our life and a glorification unto you. So, Lord, we just lift up this morning thanking you for it. I lift up our time of worship as we close with the last song. I pray for our time of fellowship, that we would be an encouragement to one another, that you would be continually glorified in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? We're going to have a couple up here for prayer.